The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. It's election year in the US. Uh, there's been no shortage of news on Trump and more to come when uh, tomorrow uh, the result of his fraud case is going to be announced by uh, the judge. And then, of course, international events in Gaza and the killing of American troops in uh, Jordan. I'm joined on the line now by Marion McKeown, a US correspondent for the Business Post. Marion, good morning. Good morning to you, Pat. Now, uh, let's talk about uh, the, um, the rock and the hard place that Biden finds himself between because of the need to retaliate for the killing of the American soldiers, but the unwillingness to go for all-out war by bombing Tehran, as people like Lindsey Graham are suggesting. Yeah, you know, th- this is so difficult because the, 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 it, the situation in the Middle East for America at the moment, it is getting incrementally worse and more risky. And, you know, America, there's huge pressure, obviously, from the Republicans, because so much of this is, you know, you have to view through the prism of the 2024 election. Republicans really want to make Joe Biden look weak on national security. They want to be able to say, you're not keeping the country safe. You've taken steps that have put us at risk, you know, on the border and with your foreign policy. So you will have people like Lindsey Graham, who, you know, ironically has uh, cozied up to Trump in in a lot of his very risky foreign policy behaviour. But he's now saying, bomb Tehran, bomb Tehran. The administration won't do that. I think that what's going to happen is you have three dead um, US soldiers now in Jordan. You have 40 that were injured, some of them seriously. Seriously, this is something America has to react to. But what looks more likely is that it will react by bombing um, Iranian fixtures and, and fixed assets, you know, along the eastern coast of Syria, near Iraq and around there. It did uh, bomb some targets in Iraq recently, and the Iraqis were really angry and publicly so, saying, don't come in here. This is a sovereign country. Don't think you can just come in here and bomb targets as you choose. So I think that this time round, they will have to be more careful. They don't want to alienate Iraq again. But I don't believe that they will bomb anything in Iran because that is just too escalatory. And I think yeah. too risky for Joe Biden. He wants to look strong, but prudent. And it's very, very difficult to do at the moment with the Republican opposition uh, doing as Lindsey Graham was doing, where they're jumping up and down saying, go yeah. for Tehran. Now, in the meantime, uh, we are hearing that uh, a deal on hostages uh, to release all of the hostages and perhaps a, a two month long cessation of uh, violence in Gaza is inching its way forward. Yeah, you know, with this, Pat, it's really two steps forward, two steps back, or two steps forward, three steps back in some cases. This has been, you know, the Qataris and the Israelis have been becoming quite fractious with each other behind the scenes. Uh, the, the Qataris have even indicated that they think that Israel is not being cooperative enough with this. Or, you know, um, we'll see. This is a long, laborious process. Um, project that, you know, it's so fraught with risk. It's so fraught with everything else that's going on at the moment. You know, everything feeds into this. You have the UNRWA claims by Israel. You have all of this going on, which is another big distraction. Uh, I think that there's huge work going on behind the scenes. We do know that every day on the hostages. That is, I think, probably America's top goal is to free the hostages. But there's also so much else. This situation for Biden is becoming increasingly perilous. More and more 
Americans are turned off by what they're seeing happening in Gaza, by how Israel is prosecuting this war. Uh, and, and Biden is, I think, trying to do several different things here. And uh, Netanyahu, he's basically keeping Netanyahu in power and he's taking flack from, for that, uh, for, you know, back home in America. And Netanyahu is, is not treating Biden with the respect that a lot of people think he should be treating him. He's giving him no indication of what his plans are for when the bombing stops. He's saying, uh, you know, two state solutions and non-starter. He's also saying that, look, you know, don't you tell us what we're going to do about security around Gaza. And uh, so it seems that Biden has been giving a lot and supporting a lot to get very little in return. And he's being criticized for that, of course, at home as well, not just by Republicans, but but by Democrats who are frustrated with what's happening and by, by how impotent that the US is looking, even though it's, it's a Israel's biggest ally, how little Israel yeah, and, is and, playing and, and with the US. We can only guess at what uh, Trump would do were he to come to power. Uh, non-engagement internationally, perhaps opting out of NATO or not funding NATO. Um, would he support Netanyahu or not, or leave Netanyahu to his own devices? Because Trump, were he to get in, will not be looking for another term because he can't. Um, yeah. Speaking of Trump, he's awaiting a big uh, court case uh, in his civil fraud trial. That is going to be uh, given to us tomorrow. But in the meantime, uh, harking back to the E. Jean Carroll case, um, he got himself into trouble and by opening his gob after he was found guilty in the civil trial of sexual assault, he cost himself some $83 million. But this is some of what he said to Caitlin Collins about E. Jean Carroll. I never met this woman. I never saw this woman. This woman said, I met her at the front door of Bergdorf Goodwin, which I rarely go into other than for a couple of charities. I met her in the front door. She was about 60 years old, and this is like 22, 23 years ago. I met her in the front door of Bergdorf Goodman. I was immediately attracted to her, and she was immediately attracted to me. And we had this great chemistry. We're walking into a crowded department, so we had this great chemistry. And a few minutes later, we end up in a, a room, a dressing room of Bergdorf Goodman, <laughs> right near the cash register. And then she found out there are locks on the door. So she said, I found one that was open. She found one. She learned this at trial. She found one that was open. What kind of a woman meets somebody and brings them up, and within minutes, you're playing hanky-panky in a dressing room, okay? <laughs> I don't know if he was, he was married then or not. John Johnson, I feel sorry for you, John. Now, that's, it's interesting, because I did the math on this. 27 years ago, uh, E. Jean Carroll was 53. How old yeah. is Melania Trump today? 53. Well, yeah. So when you disparage fifty-three-year-old uh, women, he's actually disparaging yeah. the age cohort of his own missus. Well, you know there are so many things that with just with what you played there. I mean, as you said, like she said, this was the mid nineties, ninety-five, ninety-six. It wasn't twenty years ago. That's almost thirty years ago, as 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 you correctly point out. So many things in that, and you know, I've been to Bergdorf Goodman's many, many times, and what she said about it being very quiet. It was the evening. It's consistent. If you go in there after about five o'clock, there is nobody there. Now, I think regardless, you know what the problem for Trump is? The jury has spoken on this. As civil jury has found him guilty of sexually assaulting Eugene Carroll. He can say all the things that he wants now, but basically every time he says them, he's setting himself up for another libel action. And I think that finally, you know, it was interesting after the 65 million impunitive damages was awarded, of course, he went straight out and threw 
Truth Social and slam the whole thing. But he didn't mention Eugene Carroll. So it seems that he may have learned his lesson on this. Now, of course, his lawyer has come out again, Alina Haba, uh, and she said, oh, we discovered that Judge Kaplan and Roberta Kaplan, who was Eugene Carroll's lawyer, worked for the same firm many years ago, and he was her mentor, etc. So now we're going to um, cite conflict of interest in the appeal. That will go precisely nowhere. It will go absolutely nowhere. It's a nonsense. Uh, but also, they, they will appeal the amount. But this is the interesting bit, Pat. For Trump to appeal this, he has to pay an equivalent amount. He has to basically find $83 million before he can appeal. He has to hand over 83.5 million to the court. They put it in escrow. And if he loses the appeal, that, then that money is immediately handed to Eugene Carroll. So it is a risky proposition yeah. for him. He already appealed the 5 million one. So he's already got 5.5 million, uh, which is being held by the court uh, for that. And it's very, very unlikely he'll succeed in that appeal. Yeah. There are just no grounds for him to succeed. Yeah. But the question is, does he have this cash? Is he, you know, is everything tied up in, in assets? You know, we know that he inflated the value of his properties because that was found as a matter of fact in the the civil case that you mentioned by $2.2 billion. Uh, you know, nobody has ever really believed Trump is as rich as he says he is. There's also a likelihood that he will be facing a fine of up to $370 million in the coming days from the New York court. Of course, he'll obviously appeal that as well. Um, there's a lot of speculation that the business could be shut down entirely. I don't believe the judge, who's quite a moderate judge, Arthur Engren, will do that because, you know, it's not, I'm not suggesting this was a victimless crime, this fraud, but basically, normally when businesses are closed completely, you have clearly identifiable victims. They're usually members of the public. They're usually consumers and usually substantial damage was done to them. So I think that while he will get a hefty fine, I do think the Trump organization will be left intact. OK, and uh, that will happen at some stage uh, Very t- tomorrow. Um, yeah. Meanwhile, uh, when are we going to hear about the uh, case he's, he's seeking presidential immunity Uh, When are we going to get a, a, a verdict on that? Well, you know, that is such a good question because we've all been wondering that. Um, you know, I, I was up in DC last week and, and there were, we were just saying, what's taking them so long? Now, one of the things maybe, but they still should have reached their, it by now, is that we know that the three judges involved want to do a per, per curiam decision, which is that there wouldn't be any, you know, separate viewpoints. It would be the three of them just signing off together on one opinion. And they obviously really want to get this right because no matter what they come up with, look, there is no presidential immunity for criminal activity. There just isn't. Uh, But this is a terrific tactic for Trump to delay. And he wants to delay this trial, don't forget, past the 2024 election. And he's almost getting on track to do that. So what will happen next is, let's say hypothetically, they deliver their ruling this week or next week. He will then immediately go to the entire Supreme Court, uh, I beg your pardon, the entire appeal court in DC and ask for an on-banker hearing, which is all 11 judges. They will very likely refuse him that and say, look, you got your answer from us. Uh, and then he will go to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court docket between now and June is very, very narrow. They may say, we don't have a, a, a gap in the calendar for this. Or they may think, look, this is important enough that we will yeah. move things around. I mean, the, the but, bottom line, yeah. you know, as was pointed out in the hearing, um, the idea that a president could decide to commission a hit on a political yeah. rival and not face the music for it exactly. <laughs> because he's got immunity. I mean, that's just daft. Yeah. 
The whole, but you know, I don't think that he ever believed in this. This is a delaying tactic, and you know, it, it's really true in criminal and civil trials. Delay is a wealthy person's friend. So if he can kick this can down the road past November fifth, uh, which he very possibly could, then and he's gambling then that if he wins the election, then all of these trials go away. All of them, because he orders the Department of Justice, except for the one in Georgia, because that's a state trial. He doesn't have direct control over that. But that that's his gamble. This is his stay out of jail card is to delay the, the this trial, which was supposed to start on March 4th, which is arguably the most serious of the trials uh, and which would certainly get him prison time. Um, so he wants to delay that delay it past the election. And then he'll just say, well, I pardon myself and this trial is no longer going ahead anyway. Mary McKeown, US correspondent for the Business Post. Thank you very much for joining us. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9 a.m. on News Talk.